Last year at Chinese New Year, the first Sunday after the Chinese New Year, we started the book of James uh, for the first Sunday of every month with communion. And this will be the next to the last Sunday that we'll be in James. We're going to finish up chapter 4, and there's five chapters of James, and we'll jump into chapter 5 today. And then hopefully next first Sunday of the month of March, we will finish James, and then we'll start a new study. Last time we talked about James, we were talking about James as saying that, you know, friendship of this world, he who makes himself a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. And he used the parallel of, of unfaithfulness. He says, you adulterers, you adulteresses, don't you know that to be a friend of the world is enmity with God? And he goes on to say how the spirit that God made to dwell in us and that his Holy Spirit actually yearns jealously over the spirit he made to dwell in us. And he does not, he is jealous over our hearts having affection for another God other than him. And that God can be an idol, a physical idol. It can be anything, but anything that we place above him, he is jealous of that because as we saw at this table today, he saved us. He paid a wonderful, a huge, unbelievable, unspeakable price for each of us. And he wants and deserves the full affection of our hearts. So today, he starts off by saying, don't speak evil of one another, brothers. For he who speaks evil of his brother or judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. And if you judge the law, you're not a doer, but a judge. And there is but one lawgiver, he who is able to save and to destroy. And who are you? To judge your neighbor. You know, these echo the words of his half-brother, Jesus, because James was the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, for by what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And by what measure you meet to another person, that same measurement will be measured to you. Now, what happens when we judge another person? We put ourselves in the seat of the Creator. We put ourselves thinking that we have full knowledge and full understanding of this person and that person's situation. And when we judge, we don't, we don't just ju we don't judge the act. We actually judge the person. We diminish the person. And God says, don't do that. You know, I could take you to the worst prison in this country and we could introduce you to the worst criminal in this country and if you listen to his or her story you would understand how they did what they did now it would not excuse the crime but you could understand and if we read and if we get into the lives of other people who act out poorly do things that acts that are unspeakable if you understood that person's background from the time they were one or two or three or what happened to them abandoned beat abused you would understand how they could do what they have done 
so the scripture says, do not judge, judge not. Only God can judge. Because God is God who gives grace. It's God who puts every man in his circumstance or her circumstance. Only he can judge. And also when we judge another person, what do we do? We actually say to ourselves, well, I'm better than they are. I'm better than they are. I would not do that. And that is, brothers and sisters, very displeasing to God because only by the grace of God, you and I are not in some prison today. Only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God can we stand and partake of this table. Only by the grace of God that he chose you, he chose me. He put in our minds an understanding of the gospel. He put in our heart a desire to respond. And then by his grace, he gave us faith to accept his offer of salvation by grace so you're saved through faith. And that faith is not even from yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you and I are saved today, it's not because we chose him. When I was a boy, we used to sing this song, I took Jesus as my Savior, you take him too. Well, you know what? I didn't take Jesus as my Savior. He took me. He captured me. He drew me into his arms. He kissed me. He told me he loved me and told me he gave himself for me and said, here I am, take me. And then he gave me the faith. He gave me the faith to accept him. And that's what he does for each of us. By grace, we save through faith. And that faith is not even from ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And he also says, not only do not judge your brother, but do not speak evil of your brother. Now, this is a little different. Speaking evil of another person. Now, gossip would fall under this. Oh, do you know about this person? Do you know what he did? Do you know what she did? Do you know what that person might do? When I was in college, I was taking a class in psychology, and we were reading this text study, and they took two groups of people, classrooms of 20 of university students, and they told one group of person that they were going to have a guest professor and that this guy was very unresponsive, very difficult, harsh, and not a good communicator. And then they took another group of people, another group of 30, and they told them that you're going to have a guest professor today, and he's extremely communicative, he's nice, he's friendly, and you will really enjoy him. The same professor went to both rooms and gave the same lecture. And at the end of the lecture, they had the students fill out what they perceived of the teacher. And those who basically were told that, you know, you're not going to like this guy, you know what? They didn't like him. And the ones who were told, you're going to like this guy, he's really friendly, he's really nice, they, were, they liked him. He was friendly and nice. It is unbelievable. The first impression, if you tell somebody you're not going to like this person, You're ruining in a, a relationship that could possibly be. Don't speak. We cannot speak evil of anyone. If you don't have anything to say nice about somebody, just don't say anything at all. But to speak evil of a person, to say, you're not going to like this person, he's harsh, she's harsh, you color, because people, then they have a filter, and then they see what they've heard that is going to be in that person. And then he says, you know what, there's only one judge. He's able to 
give life and destroy life? And who are you to judge your neighbor? And then he goes on to say, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such city, stay there for a year, buy, sell, get gain. He says, you know, you don't even know what tomorrow will be. And what is your life? It's a mist that appears for a short time, then vanishes. What you ought to say is if the Lord wills and we live, we will do such and such. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now, what's he talking about there? Today, I'm going to go, I'm going to do this or that. I'm going to go to this city. I'm going to do that. I'm going to buy and sell. I'm I, 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 I. You don't know what tomorrow holds, he says. And what is your life? It is a picture of self-sufficiency. I'm going to do this. I've got a little story I need to tell you. There was this farmer, and he was sitting out in front of his house. Actually, there was, he, this farmer was taking his, his pig to market. And a pastor was sitting out on his front porch rocking in the chair. The farmer walks along and got his pig with him. And he says, hello, neighbor. The farmer says, hello, pastor. And the pastor says, where are you going? The farmer says, to sell my pig. And the pastor said, you mean Lord willing, don't you? He said, nope, just to go sell my pig. So he goes off down the road, goes in the woods. He's captured by bandits. They steal his pig. They beat him up. About an hour later, the farmer comes walking down the road. Hello, neighbor. Hello, pastor. Where are you going? The farmer says, home, Lord willing. You get that? Arrogance is an exaggerated view of our ability. Arrogance is an exaggerated view of our ability. And Jesus says, actually, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that doesn't mean nothing can be done. But you know what he calls everything we do apart from him? He just calls it nothing. Because on the day of our judgment, and we're not going to stand at the the judgment seat for our salvation, but it just for our works are going to be judged. Everything that we did and have done out of our own strength, out of our own ability, out of our own talents, out of our own effort, those works will burn. Paul says they will be tested and they will burn, but you yourself will be saved, yet so by fire. But yet everything that the Holy Spirit does through you, everything the Holy Spirit does through me, stands the test. And actually, you and I are given a crown for the work the Holy Spirit does through us. Now, this is a very interesting situation. <laughs> Why would you and I get a crown for something we didn't do? Well, the answer is simple. God will say, because you let me do it. You let me do it. Because that's what he saved us for, to be vessels through which he could work and live his life through us. 
He has purchased us. He has crucified the nature of Adam in us. He has recreated us in his likeness. And he has filled us with his Holy Spirit. Some are more filled than others. If you and I all week long feed off this world and the things of this world, then we're kind of undernourished in the Spirit. But if you and I will feed off the things of the kingdom, feed off the Word of God, feed off prayer, feed off fellowship with one another, think about Him during the day, live a life of dependence upon Him, then you and I can be filled mightily with His Spirit. And when you and I are filled mightily with His Spirit, then a mighty manifestation of His life takes place in your life and in mine. His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness, His goodness, His faithfulness, His meekness, His self-control, His very life. And that's what you and I were saved for, to be vessels through which He could express His life. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in a tabernacle, and then God dwelt in a temple. But of course, it couldn't contain Him. But now, under the new covenant, God dwells in His people. Look at your brother, your sister next to you. You're looking into the face of Christ. And when you speak evil of a brother, you're speaking evil of a part or a member of Christ. And when we judge another brother or sister, we're judging a member of the part of Christ. And if we speak evil of someone outside the body of Christ, if we judge someone outside the body of Christ, we do not understand, we have not understood fully the gospel. Because if you fully understand the gospel, you will truly understand that the only reason you are sitting here this morning in Christ is before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, you were chosen in him. Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice and they will come to me. All that the Father has given me will come to me. All who will come to me. And no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. We have been drawn. And you find someone outside the body of Christ, they are yet to be drawn. They can't be held accountable for something that for God has not yet acted upon them. We can pray for them. Don't judge, don't speak evil of them. Now the next verse isn't necessarily tied to the verse before. But it's tied basically to all the teaching of James up to this time. And he says, you know, he who knows to do right and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him who knows to do right and does not do it, to him that is sin. Okay, Jesus had a teaching about this. You know, a lot of us sit around and think, well, sin is doing something wrong. <laughs> sin is doing something bad, or more theologically speaking, sin is missing the mark. But he goes to another level. He says, just not doing the good that you know to do is sin. Because once we understand the truth, then we are held responsible to act upon the truth. Jesus tells of a king who called a bunch of people, his servants before them, and he said, I was hungry, you did not feed me. I was thirsty, you did not give me drink. I was a stranger, you did take me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And they were horrified. And they said, well, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or naked or 
in prison or sick. He said, well, the fact that you didn't do it to the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it to me. Earlier in James, he says, if a brother or sister comes to you and says, and is wanting clothing and lacking food, and you say, oh, go in peace, be filled. What good does that do? That is faith without works is dead. It has no life. It doesn't profit. If we see something that needs to be done, a good that needs to be done, and we turn our back, to us it's sin. I'm going to give you a short story about the beggars. I lived in Moscow. I got to Moscow in uh, July of 1992, six months after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Ended up living there through the end of 1999. But there were a lot of beggars on the street in Moscow in 1992. And so I'd walk down the street. I'd see a beggar coming. I'd kind of go the other way. Kind of move in the other direction. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong, <laughs> but there was a good actually that needed to be done there, but I was moving away from it. Then if then one day I, I was walking down the street and I saw this older man begging, and uh, father said, you know, you're a beggar too. Oh, you're right. So I went and gave him something. And then I started giving to all the beggars who looked like they deserved it. But when I'd pass one of these guys who was, you know, just smelled like alcohol, and he slept all night long in, you know, sub-zero weather, and he still didn't die. You know, he had a lot of antifreeze. He had a lot of alcohol in his body. I wouldn't give to him because he was an unworthy beggar. I would only give to the, the beggars who I thought, you know, would take this and go buy themselves a sandwich or, or, or make something of themselves. Well, one day I was walking by with this guy, and I could smell him before I got there. And Father said to me, Rick, you are an unworthy beggar. Oh, you're right. That's what this tale is about. Unworthy. Yes. So I started giving to the unworthy beggars. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. I mean, it, they were just, it didn't matter. I gave to the unworthy beggars. But then I still had another problem. There was a certain amount that I would give to a beggar. I kind of limited so if I had, you know, 10 kwai, 20 kwai, the ruples then, I'd give to them. But if I saw a beggar and I reached in my pocket and I didn't have anything but 100 ruples, I'd start going the other way. One day I came up, I saw an unworthy beggar. I reached in my pocket. I did have nothing smaller than 100 ruples. Father said to me, I am extravagant. If you gave 100 ruples to every beggar you meet in your life, what would that amount to? He got the 100 ruples. Okay, so you and I go through this world. We see people in trouble. We find in our office someone who just needs to be listened to. We see someone who 
has two kids screaming <laughs> and trying to push a stroller at the same time, and you could just run up and help them for a second, or at least go up and say, may I help? Even if they won't let you help them, at least you've acknowledged the fact that you see they have a need, and you're saying, may I help you? That's saying, may I love you? The world is full of opportunities for us to show the love of Christ. And in the converse of that, Jesus says, you know, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was sick in prison, and you ministered to me. He said, because you've done it to the least of them, you have done it to me. So one way that we can love Jesus is by loving those, his creation, as well as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And to not to do that is to sin. And he will give you and I many opportunities this week. We'll see many opportunities where there's some good that could be done. There's someone who can be helped, and we might be that person. Now, we can't be need-driven, because if you, if, you're, if you just look at all the needs, you'll go crazy. You've got to be spirit-led. You and I need to be in Christ, abiding in Christ, and then he will place you and he will place me before people in circumstances that he wants to affect through your relationship, through my relationship with Christ. Okay, we've got a little extra time here, so I'll go on to the next verse. He says, Now come now, you rich. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that will come upon you. Isn't that a great verse? Uplifting. Your wealth has rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold have rusted. And their rust will be evidence against you. And it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures for the last day. You've laid up treasures for the last day. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived in pleasure and in luxury upon the earth. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have killed the righteous man, and he does not resist you. There's a lot, there's a lot in those verses. But one thing is clear, is that a life given, devoted to accumulating wealth is a life misspent. In this particular passage, he's talking about those who accumulated or sought for wealth in unjust ways, held back, giving wages to those who labored for them. When he talks about you have killed the righteous and he does not resist you, it, it's, it's figurative. He's not literally killed him, but he has held back his wages, which is basically his source of livelihood, his living. He, you have taken, you've stolen his life from him. But what does our Lord, Lord talk, tell us about living for the things of this world? He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust corrupt. There it is in James. And thieves break through and steal. But store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, where your security is, there your heart will abide. All of us, brothers and sisters, are tempted to love the things of this world and to want to store up a bunch of stuff. It's a temptation because everybody does it. You know, I've got some friends who've gone to certain parts of Africa that are really impoverished, where people have nothing. And I've asked, every time one goes, I said, tell me, what was the biggest impression that you had? <laughs> and three out of four will always tell me the people were so happy. The people were so happy. Because nobody basically had anything. They were sitting on a dirt floor. They were all eating the same food. They all kind of had the same clothes. They all had the, the same lack of opportunities. But no one was coveting his brother's Mercedes or his sister's clothes or this house or that house or this job or this job or that school. It just wasn't on the, on the plate. Now, we live in a world where we, we, we can't escape from this, but we need to be in the world and not of the world. We need to be in business, but not of business. We need to be in education, not of education. We need to be in government, but not of government. We need to have our hearts anchored in Christ, Christ who is our life, and then our hands and our bodies in the world where he wants to use us, where he wants to use us to be part of the transforming agent of extending his kingdom wherever you or wherever I are. Each one of you are an ambassador for Christ. Each one of you is a child of God. Each one of you is strategically placed where you are to be the aroma of Christ and be the truth of Christ and be the person of Christ in that unit, in that place where you are. That, brothers and sisters, is a great privilege, honor, and responsibility. So we need to prepare ourselves daily for the place where he chooses to use us. You might say, well, Rick, I'm just, you know, I'm working at Starbucks. How's Jesus going to use me? No. I guarantee you, if Jesus worked at Pinnacle Plaza Starbucks for one day and didn't even do any miracles... Everybody who came out of that Starbucks would have a big smile on their face. They probably had some takeaway with them. Just coming in contact with him, just to have someone look in your eyes and see their love for you and their acceptance of you and their care for you is, is, would melt you, is life-changing. And Jesus wants to change our lives in such a way that we will be that salt and light in this fallen world. There's a sister sitting very close to me right now who Father uses in that way. People just feel loved when they're in her presence and they start saying, you know, what's going on in you? Oh, Jesus is going on in me. Have you ever heard of Jesus? No, never heard about Jesus. 
Evangelism is an automatic outflow of our relationship with him. Have you ever met a young man with a young woman? You don't have to say, tell me about it. He can't quit talking about her. And as we more and more allow God to love us, then we'll love him. We must allow him to love us before we can truly love him because our love is a response to his love for us. And this whole thing today, we started off with this self-sufficiency. Don't say today or tomorrow you'll go here and do this and whatever. That throttles the love of Christ. That's me doing my life. And then when I get in real trouble, I say, cry out to God and say, would you help me? That means I have an agenda. I just want a little superpower behind me. He wants us to get up every day and says, say, you know what? You've called me to be a father. You've called me, you've called me to be a son. You've called me to be a daughter. You've called me to be a father. You've called me to be a mother. You've called me to be a brother. You've called me to be a sister. You've called me to trust you. You've called me to love you. You've called me to live a life for you. What's the next word you and I should say? I can't do that. I can't love you the way you're supposed to be loved. I can't trust you the way you're supposed to be trusted. I can't be the son. I can't be the daughter. I can't be the husband. I can't be the father. But nevertheless, all these things you have called me to do. So then what do we do? We rehearse the truth. I have been crucified with Christ. I, meaning my flesh. My flesh has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer my flesh that lives. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you, Father, that Christ in me is the perfect son or daughter to you. Brings you pleasure all day long. Thank you that Christ in me is the perfect husband. Thank you that Christ in me is the perfect father. Thank you that Christ in me is the perfect shepherd. Thank you that Christ in me is the perfect teacher. Thank you that Christ in me is everything that you want him to be. And oh, by the way, you know, I can't love you, I can't trust you. Would you just love yourself through me? This is dependence. Would you love yourself through me? Would you trust yourself through me? Would you think your thoughts through me? Would you desire your will through me? Would you just live your life through me? He's going to say, son, daughter, you got it. You got it. That's what I wanted. Would you just live your life through me? That's all God wants of us. He, he, he doesn't want us to help him. He doesn't want us to get it all fixed together so you can use me. He wants us to come and say, hey, I can't do this. I can't love you. I can't trust you. I can't be the good husband. I can't be the good father, brother, sister. I can't. And he says, I never said you could. In fact, I said you couldn't. But abide in me, and I will abide in you. And my life will flow through you. And he says, Jesus says, and this is my Father glorified, that my life manifests itself in you. We'll, talk, we'll close James next March 1st. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, thank you for our brother James. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us without direction. Thank you that you have not let us, left us without your Holy Spirit to fill us, to guide us. Thank you that you have not left us without brothers and sisters to encourage us, to, to walk alongside with us, to pray with and for us. Thank you that you have not left us as slaves to fear. Thank you that you have left us as dear children to you, 
your very, the apple of your eye and that you watch over your precious fruit, which we are, every day. Father, give us grace to give ourselves to you without reservation, that you might live your life through us without restriction. And we make this prayer in your son's name. Amen.